0: What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 63 of the Bass Lessons Melbourne Player Profile podcast. Um, Today, I'm super happy to introduce to you Mr. Anthony Matharaja, who you may be aware of um, if you've ever searched for bass lessons on YouTube. Anthony is an amazing educator, uh, and we get into that quite a bit in this podcast talking about his teaching philosophy, how he got into it, um, the whole YouTube thing. Um, Amongst uh, a bunch of other topics, we obviously talk a little bit about gear, we talk about his base journey. Um, Anthony's um, originally from uh, Sri Lanka, but he's kind of lived across Asia and he's currently based in Dubai. So we talk about that, um, his current situation um, with the, the pandemic and how he's adjusted to that. Um, and a few other things as well, so it was a, it was a really, really awesome um, hour and a half hang I had with Anthony. I'm very grateful for his time, um, as with everybody that agrees to do this podcast, and I'm grateful for your time as well, for um, continuing to check out these interviews. Um, I appreciate it. I love doing them. Um, I love uh, getting the inside scoop on these guys and girls and how they think and approach music um, and I hope that you get something from it as well. Um, The music that you're currently listening to um, in the background is called The Untimely Chosen which is from Anthony's second album which came out in February uh, this year, 2021. Uh, He's got a single coming out at the end of the month which is, we're currently in September 2021 so hopefully around end of September, beginning of October um, you'll be able to check out some new music from Anthony. Um, In the meantime, you can jump on his website, AnthonyMatharaja.com, to keep up with what he's doing. Obviously, you can find him on Instagram and YouTube as well. Um, As always, a shout out to the sponsors of the show, F-Bass, who have been handcrafting guitars and basses for over 40 years, um, both vintage and modern designs. So if you're in the market for a new instrument, definitely go and speak to um, Marcel or George at F-Bass. Um, they make beautiful sounding instruments. Okay, um, not much else to it today, guys. I just want to say again, thanks for listening. If you enjoy this, sh- you know, spread the word. Tell your uh, your music buddies about it. Leave a, a review or a comment. Um, shoot me an email, info at basslessonsmelbourne.com If you've got any complaints or questions or suggestions, um, I'm always open um, to talking to you guys. So, Without further ado, here is episode 63, Anthony Mutharajah. Hey guys, how's everybody doing? Uh, This is Craig from Bass Lessons Melbourne, and today I'm very happy to be joined for this player profile by Mr. Anthony Mutharajah. Hello, and you got the name right, so (laughs) 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 congrats. Yeah. Um, I did. I got it wrong in the email. First email that I, that I sent. Right, uh, but um, I double checked. So yeah, all good. How's things, man? You all right? Yeah, not bad. Just hot is all, and that's about it. <laughs> all right. Um, so for anyone that maybe hasn't come across you or, or heard you, um, how would you des- describe uh, what you do in the in the landscape of music? okay predominantly
1: i would call myself um well i am primarily a bass player but i do play other instruments as well so i play a lot i produce a lot and i teach a lot so that's uh, predominantly what i do and of course Mm -hmm. from the production front that includes my music as much as other people's work so it evolved cuz obviously i think most of us start off as just wanting to play an instrument you know i'm sure none of us saw this happening sitting on zoom and you know talking and doing stuff when we started off so i always kind of leave that space to just um be open enough to try new things so lately i've been mixing a lot um for different projects so that's been fun um but yeah predominantly i'd say a
0: musician producer and educator is what i am yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, was that always your um your goal, you know, or did you start out on a different career path? Oh, if you're talking career
1: path, I actually wanted to do either automobile or aeronautical engineering. Uh um, okay. yeah. I love physics. Does base playing seemed a little bit easier or <laughs> no, it's just I never As a teenager, I never thought of music as a career, not because I didn't believe in it, but I didn't have that level of a passion just yet in my early teens and mid-teens. So um, yeah, I wanted to go down another path altogether, Um, but the church I grew up playing in, everyone was just like, I don't know why you don't want to do music, you know? And it came down to how people, a lot of people around me wished they could do what I was doing then I thought, it doesn't sound like such a bad idea, you know, let's, let's check it out. So then when I got into it, it was just like, okay, this is pretty cool. But of course, very early on, I realized just being a player alone is not going to um, be sustainable, at least for the way I see it, you know. So hence, like I said earlier, I just left this open
0: space for me to have a little bit of a wiggle room. Mm. So like, uh, 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 you know, how long ago was that that you realized that you had to expand? Uh, about 13 to 12 years ago.
1: So actually, I to to put it very accurately, the first time I got my hands on Logic Pro, about 13 years ago, and got into recording, I realized this is a good skill to have, you know, and then I studied sound design before I went to study music for a bit. So Mm -hmm. even there I realized, okay, you know what? There's so many facets to this and it'll be good not to be a jack of all trades, but at least have an understanding to develop some level of, um, sustainability and just options for avenues
0: to earn, you know? So, yeah. Um, sound design is an interesting one. I think, do you think that, um, that part of, your, your learning has influenced your your tone that you have now, or is it more uh, you know do you do you think of it in terms of that context um context definitely matters, but I think
1: sound design enabled me to use my imagination a lot you know like like my mentor in college said if you want a good bass tone, you need to be able to imagine a good bass tone right um, you know, just imagining what you want to sound like. And as a young punk, obviously I said, I want to sound like Jaco, so my EQ looked like this. My mids just <laughs> boosted the life out of, you know, so it was just like, that doesn't work. But then eventually I started to understand just how the touch works with it. And um, amps, various settings, and keep kept trying different things. But yeah, it sound design just set up that trajectory for using my imagination more than anything else, which is why um having used a squire jazz bass for the longest time i was able to get a rather good sound out of it just because in my head i'm not playing a squire you know i'm playing the most boutique Ken Smith. <laughs> that's how i kind of envision it in my head and then i'm maybe not almost always but i'm able to translate that directly out so yeah
0: yeah cool um was the was the was the squire your first kind of proper bass um, actually
1: no my first bass was a Yamaha I think it's the RBX 375 um, yeah because I went into the college as a guitar player but I s- started playing bass for a lot of people because in my batch there was like I think one or two bass players at most and in the whole college like four right. and I was playing a little bit in church already and by that I mean I can just play the root note and play one pentatonic fill you know Yeah, that, that's uh, what you need on bass right yeah playing. of course <laughs> Yeah, so I, yeah, that was my first bass, and then eventually I had a few others, had a Sadowski and whatnot, uh, trying out different basses. And then I found this choir, my friend had it. I actually forced my friend to sell it to me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because I just fell in love Mm -hmm. with it. And um, what I realized at that point, why I liked it so much, is because the instrument comes with some form of a resistance. You know, it's not it's a well-built instrument, but it's not like the most ideal thing to be playing the stuff that Mm -hmm. I play on. And I like that because I had to be very accurate and honest with what I want to say, because otherwise Mm. it would just expose you. Because if the technique's not there, an instrument like that, I mean, I paid 200 USD for that. So it's not it's going to expose you, you know. Um, And then down the road trying a different bass, I realized, wow. like when I first got my hands on a Fodera it felt it felt like a toy it was just so easy to play Mm -hmm. and I realized oh this this feels nice you know because I built my foundation on something that's rather shitty as opposed to it being very playable but yeah Mm -hmm. this eventually became my main base um, about nine years ago and I
0: stuck to it until I got my custom interesting Um, because that's kind of I'm sure you've seen that um, that Jacko modern electric bass. Yeah. Didn't he say he, he liked he like to like to practice on like a P bass? Yeah, neck. P bass, yep. yeah. Oh, yep. Take a neck. Yeah, yeah. Thicker neck. Yeah.
1: It's a it's a it's a similar thought process because it's like you put yourself in a vulnerable position when you practice when you're shedding, but when you play, you just optimize everything you can, you know. So. Yeah, on that front, that that actually made me think a lot because that's when I realized a jazz neck is quite, especially this one, is quite thin. Nice. And mm-hmm. then when I played a P, it just feels like something else. And I was just like, if I had a P bass, I would probably end up shedding on that, you know, just for the sake yeah, of. Have a bass? Nah, that's probably the next thing I want to get, if not a fretless. So, fingers crossed. Then you'll get all the
0: gigs. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um so like i think the 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 logic uh, like getting the logic pro the recording software early on i think that's an interesting thing as well like i've always been fascinated with recording and 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 sound and you know that side of things as well um because there's something about like opening up a, a session and it's just a blank slate you know and you have and, and you just like okay now what you know what do i want to say what do i have to say right um you know and it's and it's like that first thing that you put down It might not make it to the end but it you know it's always kind of sitting there on the screen somewhere or you know something by the time you get to the end of the the mix and the recording is completely transformed away from what your original idea was and it, it's, it's such a powerful um, tool for practice and for self, for musical exploration these di- these days yep. that I think um, yep. maybe isn't talked about as much in, in kind of education circles and stuff like that. The fact that we all have the facility. I mean, you can get a garage band on your iPhone pretty much. Yeah. You know, like yep. it's, it's so at hand these days. Like, is there any any ways that you like to use the recording software and stuff like that for practicing or, you know, just um, getting better at stuff like?
1: Yeah, so very early on when I started with Logic, I realized the environment of recording versus playing live is very different. Mm -hmm. Live, you can get away with a lot of things, you know? It's like, right at the top of my head, I, I think about how a lot of bass players tend to play certain phrases where they let their left hand do most of the work and they barely pick live with the momentum, with an amp behind you. It works in a studio. It might not work in a recording context because in a recording context, your projection matters and the consistency of it matters. So one thing I spent a lot of time on was just looking at my waveforms as I played to to really gauge, okay, how physical is it for me to almost peak but just be loud enough versus quiet and still project whatever I want to. So I started doing that a lot and it also helped me deal with, um, I won't say time issues, I would rather say the way I felt time. Because Mm. at the end of the day, as much as playing to a metronome is great, I think it isn't the most organic field of sound you know, because nobody's gonna sit and accurately clap if you think about it. So it <clears throat> it's helped me understand and develop a workflow for writing, for putting together ideas. It made me realize that no idea is a bad one. It's like what you said, you would probably start with one and at the end of it, that idea is not there anymore. Mm. But it's like what I call like um, a beat board or a trampoline effect where you use that to jump off elsewhere so the cool thing is you don't have to discard any of these ideas it's just a matter of creating a new track muting the previous and then you have all these options to look at and go oh okay i could probably take this from there that from here Mm kind of like um joe zavanagh that's the way he used to write he would just uh tripping on acid goes into the studio and he just records all day comes out the next day and his um I believe he had a machine which would transcribe for him, so he would go like, Yeah, I like bar eight and bar eight hundred and sixty. That would be my intro, you know, for instance. so um, he he just kept recording, and from there he put he took ideas and put them together. So I think um, yeah, that's I think that it's on the it's a BBC documentary if I'm not mistaken, um mm-hmm. of his where he talks about that. And it's a, it's a rather brief talk about it, but it made me realize, like, wow, that's actually quite deep. And for us, it's even easier now to just sit and record and keep it there, and then come mm. back. But of course, it's not easy, and it takes a lot of getting used to, you know, from technique standpoint, from a hearing standpoint, and just really dedicating enough time to it. Because, like I said, most of us just want to play, so the idea of, let's say, me mixing my album is not the most ideal for a musician because that's time gone or time consuming. But then I look at someone like Alan Holdsworth who mixed all his records. And then Mm -hmm. when you listen to all the albums, you start to realize there's such a consistency all the way from the 80s through the 2000s in his sound overall, and he evolved with it. That's because he had control over it the whole time. And I was just like, Mm that's great and that's a good skill to have it's a lot of work but why not you know so yeah why, yeah. why
0: not why not control all aspects of your art
1: yeah exactly so um, maybe there are certain things okay when it comes to say marketing I'm not probably the greatest at it when it comes to my music so there I'm still trying to learn and figure out how can I go about doing that mm. but then from the production front I really sat my ass down and just really worked these things out, and just took a deeper look at everything, you know. Um, and which is also why I've only stuck to logic. I did study Pro Tools as well briefly, but I still can't figure it out as well, you know. And I've tried a whole bunch of other doors, but then I go back to logic, not not because of anything, but I started there, and I laid my foundation there. So,
0: I mean, it's a, it's a tool, right? So whatever yeah, helps you, exactly. Make music. The- exactly Test. doesn't yep. matter which is which yep. um how how far down the rabbit hole of like the the quantization thing i mean like talking about time it's like when you're saying the metronome or the click track um it's not really a natural representation of how we would would play musically mm-hmm. um but do you like would you say that you've then developed or worked on the ability to kind of Play, have that kind of consistent mechanical thing happening but play around it and make it not feel okay. um, robotic well, uh-huh. it's, it's like um,
1: the way I think of it is in terms of phrasing right, very rarely do we come across single bar phrases usually any and every bass line goes across x number of bars, you know, so if you take something like Good Times by Chic, that bass line for me is a two part, you know it's two bars it resolves and then another two bars Mm -hmm. so for me it's really about playing those two bars in its entirety as a as a singular phrase and sound so there might be little discrepancies from beat two of bar one to beat four of bar two but I look at it as just presenting this as one reference in time and then come back on beat one of bar three so Like um, when I've worked with some students who want to discuss sound and mixing I would open up my sessions and run the click track and a lot of times they'd be like you kind of sound like you're off but rather consistently and Mm -hmm. it was the same logic I just told them yeah because for me I'm more concerned about bringing the phrase in the most organic way the click is just there to let me know like okay you're going too far out or you're way ahead or I'm here but It doesn't have the control, the way I feel the phrase, the phrase.
0: So that's what I started to do. If you you take the click out, does it sound musical? Yes or no? I guess that's the ultimate question, right? Exactly. And it's organic. It sounds a little stretched out in certain moments
1: or certain phrases. It's pushing a little bit because that's how it should feel, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I mean, it's funny, like when people talk about, um, like drum machines and hip hop and sampling, like killing the feel in music but like those early drum machines like they, they're not exact like the lens and no, stuff like that. they have they have this kind of wandering clock and hip hop breakers were sampling real things so it's like it's like Fair. what you're saying they might come they might exa- stop and start at the exact same point in time but within those phrases there's human movement exactly
1: cuz it's like you listen to you listen to Tupac and Biggie and the old hip hop stuff, it's so organic. It's very organic. And you could hear it even in the way they would rap. They could throw a whole bunch of words. You'd be able to even tell what they're rapping about or speaking about versus more contemporary hip hop, which is so quantized that the phrasing of the lyrics has to go with it. The whole triplet thing, you know, that the new age, uh, that kind of a thing happening now. So it's just like, okay, but then you would hear the same thing then and it's just like, hmm why does it feel just loose as much as it feels tight you know uh so yeah i'm i again i don't oppose using the metronome but um uh, people tend to uh def- default to it and i think that can lead to certain bad habits down the road
0: mm. i think i think you know i think if you if you can't play you know two or four bars exactly on the metronome then you know that's something that you should be able to do would you agree yeah yeah i, th- I think yeah. on on a, on a fundamental level i think there
1: are certain things one needs to take care of um to understand if they're on the right path um so i would say you know if you have if you're working at something like that's four bars long um like, you know, I just started teaching a, lo- a local guy here, complete beginner, um, so he's just five lessons in, and the bass line I was trying to get him to play was uh, Feel Good by Gorillaz. Rather simple mm-hmm. bass line. An E um, flat, or an uh, E? E, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> just getting him to play that, got him. The no- I just gave him the notes and I said, okay, you know this song, just let's see what happens. So. He was able to play it in time for the most part, except when he had to play certain pickup notes into a particular note. So boom, bo, do, do. That pickup thing he struggled because his he didn't he couldn't coordinate it. So I said, okay, you know what? I don't want you to reference the song because he was trying to play quite accurately to the tempo of the song, and I was not even playing the track for him because mm-hmm. it's kind of registered in his mind already, you know. So I just said, let's just take just take the back seat relax and get that pickup note in and from there slowly build it up and funny enough after a certain point he was just starting to play the whole thing in rather good time without a metronome or without the track and then when i put a metronome on it started to throw him off immediately you know put the track again it started to throw him off immediately but by himself he was getting comfortable and i was just like okay so not to say you've got it down because playing with the track is still a challenge but build on this the ability to play by yourself even simple things i tell guys you want to learn to play walking bass lines, just play by yourself you know learn to hear the harmony that way and feel the time organically and then you put a click Mm. and then you can use a click like what you said you know four bar phrases how well aligned is it in time you can use the click in that way to just keep yourself in check overall so there's a time and place for everything, I believe, but I think for starters, people should really feel comfortable just getting comfortable, getting the notes
0: together and then the rhythm together by themselves first. Yeah, I mean, because it's like uh, in my experience, I would say not, not many people have like bad rhythm. Like, yeah. you know, I've done, I've taught, you know, 20, a class of 25 year old kids, and if you go, most of them can go right, yep. But you write that out in a piece of paper and give it to somebody who's been playing for a year, and they're like, "It's like what? What's what? Like what? You know?" Or you know, so play it in an awkward position on the bass. So it's like most people can feel can feel time, can feel rhythmic phrases, correct? Normally, right? Yep. The things that are in the way are the mechanics. So how you you know just the, the physical nature of playing the instrument, yep. um, but yep. then also. Um, I've kind of talked to students that and from my perspective anyway, time is really a, a listening, it's like a listening cycle it's like hearing hearing yourself he, hearing the source, so the Correct. the Correct. band or the track or whatever it was, and then hearing yourself in relation to that right. source, so it's kind of like there's three parts to it now, and then you're making those micro adjustments depending on whether you're too far ahead or too far behind, um, and that's kind of and that's kind of what you're always doing. You're always making these tiny little adjustments to your timing as that listening cycle speeds yep. up as you get better at it. It's like driving. When you start driving, you make these big overcorrections, right? Right. And as you get better, you just you just kind of go straight. It's not a hundred percent straight, you know, but yeah. just those little corrections. And I think that's from my perspective, anyway. I think that helps people. Um, understand the concept of what it is to play in time. Yeah, it, it, it keeps you grounded. It gives you an
1: idea of what it um, means, you know, because even on a professional level, I've been in situations where drummers and bass players, they tend to drag the minute there's a horn section or strings. I mean, and that happens because a horn section would have a certain latency before the note is actually mm-hmm. reproduced and then they start to play to that and then before you know it, it just becomes a drag fest. Because if you look at, I don't know, um, Buddy Rich or Mel Lewis and those, just those big band cats, for example, it feels like a locomotive the whole time. And sometimes you would even feel like the horns might not make it in time, you know, just because of how it's being pushed. But that's the only way to keep all those 20, 30 people on stage together. You know, so that's one particular context versus, let's say, a jazz quartet where it's more open, mm. you know, mm. or varying situations. In a rock band, you can't go play your eighth notes like how you play in jazz. So, like, you, you start to understand these things and you realize, yeah, it just comes down to actually having a technique down and concepts to practice. After that, it really is about just finding your footing in any situation. And like you yeah, said, it's, sure. a, it's a nice breakdown to have that compartmentalization of hear that, hear this. So it gives people,
0: anyone can put that together,
1: you know? So that's a great approach to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think it's just like that thing just gets refined <coughs> over time. Right. Um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned the, the horns dragging big band thing. Because I, I, I had the exact same experience on my first ever cruise ship contract right. where I was playing in the, in the big band and... Every song, just yeah, yeah it's a steady decline. Because, right? because I was following the drummer, the drummer was following me. I was reading, so it was just you know, and all the walking lines were written out. So it's like you know, and plus I'm thinking the horns are like sitting back here, so I must be sitting back here. So it was just this spiral of <laughs> <laughs> slowing down, and then you know, and then the band leader said, "We'll go and listen to you know Buddy Rich and Count Basie and like we where here where time sits in this musical con- context." You know and you need to own it a lot more than you would maybe in some other settings
1: mm. yep
0: have you have you done much like big band reading gigs kind of stuff yeah i've um used to do it plenty before i moved to dubai
1: um and once i moved there, yes i did i did bigger format shows i did a 180 piece orchestra show a few years ago which was yeah. a very interesting experience again because um, to make sure that one hundred and seventy nine people don 't drag is it 's a, a huge weight you know on the rhythm section um so yeah I have, i've i 've done a fair bit of big band shows and i 've done a fair bit on drums as well so i 've seen it from right. both sides what happens in that yeah. sense you know, and even on the drums i 'd be just i won 't say pushing it but really keeping it there, and the bass player would be like bro you're rushing i'm like, no' If I don't do this, we're gonna be minus 15 BPM at the end of this uh, tune, you know? And then the whole show is just gonna be a drag fest. Um, And then, just a couple of weeks ago, or earlier this month, I did um, a show with the Symphony Orchestra, and um, that was an interesting experience as well, because we had a great conductor, and we had a lot of issues with the time. Because, um, especially when you're playing something rather slow, and I had to double the double bass uh, section as Mm -hmm. well. So it's very tricky, because they are going arco, and I'm here with my thumb, and I'm just like, so I was using my volume pedal to simulate that, but then to get that in time, you know, so it was just like um, a lot of interesting scenarios I've dealt with. um, But yeah, it's like what you said though, if you really, really listen, I always tell this actually, listen to everything but yourself, you will find yourself in that setting you know, Mm. um, because people would say, you got to hear yourself in the band, but I'd rather hear the band for what it is. And then naturally I just find that, that little gap. So that's something I learned from playing bigger ensemble shows. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Very challenging too.
0: Yeah. Um, what is your kind of, we've been teaching a little bit about talking a little bit about teaching and stuff like that. Um, what's been your path to to becoming an, an educator to becoming a teacher has it something that's always been part of what you what you do or was there a point where you went financially i got to teach or you or you right. just or you have a, a desire to do that? because i think it's an interesting concept of why why people teach and why they teach the way that they do
1: yeah for me it's predominantly passion um i I enjoy sharing and I don't hesitate to share what I do. You know, in the sense mm. of if somebody asks me, "Hey, that clip of you playing, what are you what, what exactly did you play there?" I would happily transcribe it and give it to you note for note. Even break it down as to what it is because one thing I've realized from teaching is that I could give anybody the literal content of what I do and you still wouldn't sound like me much like I wouldn't sound like you or they wouldn't sound like him because we have different ways of perceiving it. What is a good idea to me might not be to you. And that's the fun part about music. It's so subjective. So teaching for me, I primarily developed the passion from my mentor um, who in college, he really handed me my ass over and over again, you know. He made me hear and see a lot of
0: things. What, did you, what was your course at college? What did
1: you um, study? So w- I initially signed up to do a Berkeley transfer program in Malaysia. Um, I never got to Berkeley, and I actually even dropped out of college because I was working, and a lot of other things went down. I actually spoke about it on my channel on a video. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, my mentor, Mr. Frank, um, who's not with us anymore, he, he really um, made me just really understand like a lot of things that didn't make sense to me so I went in you know as a shredder playing Dream Theater and Yigby Malmsteen and stuff like that on the guitar and well, then in comes this guy and says okay yeah. <laughs> in comes this guy and says okay we're gonna do Bee Gees How Deep Is the Love and I'm looking at this E Triangle 7 and I'm just like <laughs> I'm like what? I'm like, what is this you know and then he says oh you gotta add that note on top I'm like why so I, I, I just always was such a idiot but yet innocent in my questions yeah um and i realized not all the teachers could make me understand it the way my mentor did he had a way of i won't say dumbing it down but simplifying it and i loved that and as i started working more and people would ask me man hey how do you do that and i would just tell it to them in the most simplest form and they'd be like wow i can actually understand that so I realized at that point, yeah, I have a knack for it. I have a knack for simplifying something that's rather complex in nature. So then I started to teach, um, just you know, regular teaching, dealing with kids and stuff like that. But then eventually from there, I realized, now nah, I think I have my own path here in terms of content too. So I started to sit down and just develop I write a lot on paper so I started writing down materials a lot which has been the bulk of um ideas that I've used for the books I've put out too so yeah it was just reali- realizing I have a knack for simplifying anything and the fact that I loved I loved um inducing um st- uh, the passion you know just bringing that forward in students and getting them to really hear things cuz you know I've been working with this one guitar player for instance who could not Let's just put it say for what it is. Couldn't even play core tones well, and now he's as at a position where he's able to just just play over changes, not even be confined by standards or whatever, and he's able to do it. But the funny thing is, in two years, he's not realizing how much he's grown, which is why I get everyone to record themselves. You know, whether it's a door or whatever, record yourselves constantly. So. Yeah, for me, it's primarily passion. And yes, it has financially benefited me, but that was never the primary reason. You know, I mean, if if anything, actually, through the entirety of um, this pandemic, from the time it began up until today, um, that passion has kept me financially stable. But that was never what I had in mind. You know, I never thought I would reach a stage where I'd rather teach more than play more. Mm-hmm. But then I realized... I'm so specific with the way I want to play and the circumstances I want to work in that this only makes sense now, that I teach more and play when I want to play. Mm. And the reason I like this is because it gives me so much time to practice, because I think practicing is what I enjoy the most, if anyone asks me, you know. <laughs> I, I really enjoy just sitting and just shedding. So, yeah, I think, yeah, passion and then the finances, what a result of that passion, that's how I see it,
0: yeah and and that's I guess that's the way that's how you want it to be, right you want to be happy doing what you're doing and then you get rewarded for it, so it's less like well yeah bonus, yeah, exactly um what would be some of the the most common um maybe misconceptions or issues that you see with kind of beginner intermediate players? you know, um, that, that you think sh- that everybody should just kind of check themselves for? Mm. I think <clears throat> one of the primary issues
1: I see with, actually, I think this is a very, not just bass player problem, but it's there with guitar players, drummers too. It's the over-reliance on your gear mm-hmm. using... Trying to compensate your weaknesses with gear, basically. You know, I've seen that.
0: Really a lot. glad that you can't see my pedal board at the moment. <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah, nah. no basses over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so,
1: and by that I mean, it's like some guys think, yeah, man. You know, I realize the chords don't sound right because I've got this ebony fingerboard, and I'm just like, nah, bro. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know, like it works from your touch. So. I think if I was to simplify this into one statement, I would say it's undermining the value of your actual touch mm. and how you actually reproduce the sound because the instrument is a mere tool, you know mm. my cat could get a sound out of it, but it's it, it not it's not going to sound like a bass, you know at the end of the day, we get that sound out, so tone production, um understanding that you are very much in control of that regardless of what wood it is. Because guys who talk about, yeah, this neck and that fingerboard, a lot of times don't even truly, at least in my opinion, don't truly understand wood characteristics. You know, I I spent years researching before I even got to um, my luthier to build this uh, custom base. And when I gave him the combination of how I want a maple body and a mahogany top, he just looked at me like, why? Because everyone goes the other way around, you know? But then I realized everyone who does it, the flip side, maple top and mahogany body have one particular sound, which is mid-heavy. And I wanted that high mids and highs on the bass, naturally. But all of mm-hmm. this, is I was only able to get it because of having one instrument and really, like I said, imagining that sound. So I think one of the most um, crucial things that um, bass players forget, uh, like leave out on is just that, really learning to build your sound in that sense when you're practicing your scales even as a basic C major playing super slow really hold on to that note don't cut it off really flow one note into the other so that small adjustment of how you go from C into D rather than mm-hmm. cutting it off because that's how a beginner would try to do it yeah. but getting them to understand the benefit of no just let it flow let it flow just really focus on that Because if you don't have that, a guy who's been playing for six months will be convinced he needs a fodera because that's the sound, you know? And then that just becomes a black hole altogether. You would have all the gear, but nothing to speak, you know? So it's like, it's, yeah, quite um, a tricky uh, space to be in because, I mean, most of my students have better instruments than me. Actually, all of them, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So when I sit with my squire, I'd look at Ken Smith burner, I'd see that, but then it doesn't sound like what it looks like. So I'm just like, okay, that's a problem, you know, and you've been at this for 10, 15 years already with Mm -hmm. that conviction that, yeah, I needed this for the sound, but then the sound was never there in the first place. Mm -hmm. So getting a beginner to understand that can be tricky, but once they see the value of it, the growth is exponential and you're also able to grow quicker because you're not hindered by the need for an instrument you realize, okay, it actually comes down to how physical you can actually get with the instrument in that sense.
0: yeah. I mean, gear is easy, music is hard, right? That's the phrase. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um Interesting what you were saying about that. You know, people playing a passage or a scale, or whatever, and the notes are cut short. Like, I come across that all the time. And when they go, yeah, I can play my scale, and it's that. uh, 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 uh You know, it's like, yeah, okay, the, you're notes in an order but can you shorten that gap so there's like no daylight between the notes and that is so hard for people to do because then it's then you're you're really forcing the hand to actually make those minute movements you know and if you've done a lot of recording or whatever then you understand that the details make such a difference to, to the group You know, and so you need to have that. It's just about control. You need to have that control over whether the note is that is that long. Does it go butt up right next to the to the next note, or is it half as long, or is it three quarters that length? You know, you need to be able to make those decisions consciously and not have your hand make it for you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's like
1: this recent gig I did. The hardest songs I had to play were where I had to play whole notes with the orchestra because it's I realized damn whole notes at 55 bpm is hard it's not impossible but it's you really have to hold down the fort you know and to be quiet is another challenge while playing a whole note so it's just like you know Mm -hmm. so that that's where I built it from because um, I realized the fluidity and this is where my mentor he would say okay play a scale and I'd just be like you know notes were right it sounded pretty okay for what it is but he was just like man can you play the first two notes without that gap in there you know <laughs> and you're like and, what are you talking about <laughs> yeah i'm like what what gap it's perfect man it's perfect bro and then i started playing and i'm just like oh shit!" then my fingers started to twitch so much because i realized my fingers just were never settled on the fingerboard because you're just you're so used to you know the flying fingers syndrome so yeah. this way it really taught me to move my finger as and when i need to like proper stepward motion.
0: <laughs> I just saw your blankets move, but I, yeah. I think I realized my it's cat. Your my cat.
1: cat's inside there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's her spot in the afternoon. So <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. interrupt. No, 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 it's fine.
0: I figured she'd move at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So so talking a little bit about technique, um, I've, I was watching some of your some of your playing, and I noticed that you kind of, and I think you've done some videos on this. I'm not sure but right hand plucking technique, you kind of shift between like a, a rest stroke and a free stroke, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, would that okay, be correct? Um, I would need your help in defining the two because I get very confused. Because <laughs> a lot of okay, people so, ask me. So, so, I guess what, what, what I'm saying is like a rest stroke is when you, you pluck the string and your finger comes and rests on the string above Below. it. Right okay what have you thinking about it and a, and a free stroke is where you you pluck the string and your finger doesn't touch any of the other strings you know right it's oh, more okay. like what you would traditionally know as a pluck right um,
1: it it depends on what i'm going for if i'm going for something um, let's say in a groove context i tend to use more um, rest strokes um, generally yeah. speaking but then when I play pop gigs, like when I have to hold a note for long, I tend to use a free stroke. And now more than anything, I actually even use my thumb to play those notes. Um, okay. Yeah, because and that actually just came by accident because I was learning a phrase from Michael Brecker and then I just used my thumb to play the bottom, the bottom E. Then I realized, oh shit, I could actually just use this, but not use it across the strings, but just for the bottom strings, I would keep my thumb ready because it's anyway there anchored. Might as well use it to pick mm-hmm. the note. Um, but from a soloing perspective, when I'm developing a solo, I use a lot of rest strokes, uh, sorry, free strokes. Because um, in my head, it kind of allows it to breathe. But then, yeah, I'm constantly in and out of the two. Um, it's well, not what, something- what would
0: you say is the kind of the difference, like the tonal characteristic, <clears throat> like why would you choose one oh, over the other? With, like.
1: With with a rest stroke, I think you have more leverage in getting a rounder, warmer sound and a bigger sound. Mm-hmm. When you use free strokes, it gets a little thin. At least that's how I hear it. You know, because if you think no, of I, I
0: agree.
1: yeah, if you think of a good bass line with you know a solid uh, bass line, um, it's it's tricky because I remember. Um, one bass that comes to mind is Orient Express by Joe Zavineau. On the record, it's um, Richard Bona, but they play it rather slow, so it's got the pace and the tempo. But live, Linley Marte, mm. it's just a one bass line that he plays for 10 minutes. But man, the sound, it's so huge. And he uses a combination of rest and free strokes as well. But what I realized is he's also such a big guy. So when, when he plays a rest stroke, he really gets his wrist into it too, naturally, you know. Mm -hmm. So I started to um, realize that, yeah, playing rest strokes gives you more body. Free strokes takes away that body and gives you projection. Yeah, that's what I would say. So, for instance, I tell people when I solo, I use my fingertips a lot, whether I'm using rest strokes or free strokes, you know, which is what helps project those notes out. Um, But... um, yeah it's more of a subconscious thing and actually i would say it comes from a background of playing the guitar you know i used to alternate pick a lot but then somewhere down the road i started just doing what people call economy picking which basically means if i'm playing a phrase and even if by logic i should be picking up on the next string because i'm going up to the next string i might as well just go down down so the same logic applies here for me except that you know you're working with two fingers which is also why I never bothered trying to get a third finger in no matter how fast anything would get um but yeah it's I I don't know if it's something I consciously very deliberately worked
0: on but I use my ear to guide me in okay. terms of sound yeah what, and when you're when you're teaching do you kind of are you kind of doing rest stroke as you're approach for beginners
1: so I I get I encourage anyone like play the note and keep your finger like you know if you were to alternate pick I pick the first note and my my finger is on the bottom string this guy's ready to play the next note and let's say if I'm ascending once this is picked I can move this guy to go back up you know now people might think that's a lot of motion and thought better to use um, a free stroke but like I said, free, one thing about free stroke, again, um, it's, I think for me, the way I've heard many players use it, I don't think it's the most rhythmically accurate technique because it doesn't give you that anchor point when your fingers are just floating freely. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at classical guitar, for instance, they've got that anchor and when they use a free stroke, it's usually kind of like a rubato situation where they're floating with it. But then the minute they want
0: to be accurate rhythmically, it's all rest strokes, you know? Um, because because your fingers are traveling a consistent distance every time from string to string. That correct. distance between your strings is yeah. the same. But then so free freeze... St-
1: yeah, with a free stroke, you could really lose sight of where you're headed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I wouldn't encourage anybody to go there by default. Start with rest strokes and then build from there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, do you ever use compression? Because you're talking about this um, sustain or attack to the note and depth and stuff like that. I mean, all of these attributes I would say are wrapped up in using a, using a compressor. As I'm sure you know from doing yeah. production and stuff like that, you can really alter yeah your notes in occur. in a
1: studio in a studio situation recording situation. Yes, I favour it. Uh, live, I don't. I've never used compression live. Um, because uh, I don't like the sound of it live. And I've tried all kinds of pedals, mm-hmm. all kinds of um, onboard compression on amps. I just never liked it. But in the studio, I love you, I enjoy using compression because it not only gives you that leverage, but it gives you transient, it gives you tonal options mm-hmm. too with the bass. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I mean, one thing, one major trick for playing, let's say, long notes. I mean, loud is not to pick hard. Turn your volume up, pick it nice and quiet, close to the fingerboard, you'll be able to hold on to that note for a long time. Mm. And if you wanted to quiet down, that's why, you know, when anyone asks me what's the most important pedal for a bass player, I say a volume pedal because of these reasons, because it gives me the leverage to dynamically have control in varying situations. So I rely on it a lot. Like certain gigs, I will become handicapped
0: without a volume pedal, you know. Because, you know, that's one of the one of the drawbacks of like the guitar and the bass is that once you've plucked a note, you don't really have much control over it, unlike a sax player or a violin player or Correct. a singer. They can yep. increase volume, all that kind of stuff, yep. after they've actually started the note, whereas us, the only way is down. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, we have to just kind of wait because we can't control that. Um but yeah it's it's very interesting how it it depends too on like what note even you're trying to hold i remember doing a studio session recently where i finished the song with the low b and i've got a zero fret on this guy and it took i think about 35 seconds for the sustain to go away Mm. we actually timed it we were like i'm curious i'm just like okay play the note just watching and watching and then for it to actually die it took that long And then I thought, okay, how would it be if I played the C? (laughs) That thing probably lasted, I don't know, 10 or 15. Then I realized, because I picked it with the same intensity as the open string, it didn't work. So dial it back down a little bit. So like these kind of small, silly experiments really, you know, um, Mm. made me realize, yeah, okay, I don't need compression live. uh, Whereas, you know, I'm aware like someone like Marcus Miller has a compression just for when he does these slides and these sounds rather than when he's playing so when he's about to slap and he's really going to slide down a big slide from the uh, top to bottom he turns on the compression just to clean it up a little bit because otherwise it goes out of control be more even instead of yeah correct yeah so it doesn't come at you and then disappear and then it's gone Mm -hmm. yeah because you hear that sometimes when you watch live shows where the bass is in and out you know and that also comes down to compression of course but from the front of house point of view but um yeah, it, for me, I didn't look at it as a necessity. I did try it. One thing compression helps with a lot is helping pop out harmonics, yeah, because um, it gives you that uh, control. <clears throat> but um, for that the, one, bar, what that one bar and the one song and the ten yeah, songs. <laughs> yeah, that one song that you hopefully play. So it's like, am I going to carry a pedal for that? You know. So,
0: um, yeah. Um, so let, let's talk about your your new bass or i mean how how new is it now like a year old almost a year old It's a year old yeah tell us so you i mean you you talked about the, your your choice of of wood um yeah. and how you because you'd spent so much time on the squire essentially you'd you'd maxed it out you you knew or you know all the different sounds you can get from that instrument yeah so you know what what else that you want to get that you can't get from that instrument. Yeah. Correct. That's exactly yeah, so it. You know what's missing, you know what it can do. So is this instrument everything that that squire isn't? <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs>
1: and the squire is everything that this isn't, you know? So. Um, yeah, that makes sense, right? I mean, th- yeah. what's the point? Yeah, so I, the- my sole purpose of getting this was, I wanted a five. And I'm never happy with factory-made five strings, because the low B just never did it for me. Yeah. So when Tom reached out to me, he um, made me a good offer, and I was just like, okay. And then he was just—he gave me a a form to fill up and look at. So, sorry, who's who's the Lucille? Tom Marcio from France. So he built um, one of Hadrian's first custom bases was built by him. So he builds a lot for those Mm. French guys out there and uh, he makes great guitars too, <clears throat> and um, all truly handmade stuff. So, um, and I was not not in a rush to get this, you know. Uh, I just wanted him to take his time with it. So, a few things that I went for is, I'm not a fan of active basses, so this is passive, okay. and I wanted Piezo on it. So it's got the Piezo, it's passive, but mm-hmm. it's 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 very powerful. And the main catch with this bass is that, like I said earlier, is the maple body and the mahogany top. Because maple is bright, mahogany is more mid-heavy. So that's why, like I said, when the mahogany is the body and the maple's the top, you get that, the, the honky, nasally kind of sound, you know, which is fine. But then I always believe mids need to be cut more than boosted. Because they can go out of control and out of whack. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mean
0: like um, acoustically, naturally? Ac- in yeah,
1: acoustically. From from a sound perspective, mids <clears throat> are more troublesome the minute you have to start boosting them around, especially the high mids, mm-hmm. you know. So I wanted an instrument that would just give me a very balanced experience, but with slight with a slight edge on the brightness of it so I don't have to touch it too often. Mm-hmm. So this being passive yes i have a tone knob which i use when i'm playing both the pickups and it's got a good sound for slap as well it's got the it's got a more of a music man slap sound right which is which is what i wanted because i already have a jazz bass if i want that sound and is that because the pickups are a little bit further back yes it's because it's cuz cause, cause of that and also cuz you have this much of a gap here too so it gives it gives you that very lewis johnson kind of a slap sound which i like You know, because I'm not, I only use it functionally. I don't shred away with it. So it's just based on the song. If it needs it, it needs it. So, yeah. And in essence, what you said is right. Because the minute I got this, everyone's just like, yeah, man, but your squire is better. I'm like, it's different. You can't compare it. The idea of me getting this is to have something that doesn't sound like my squire, you know, in the first place.
0: It maybe sounds better for you. Yeah. for you, it's exactly
1: what you Yeah, for me, it's a functional thing because people assume, oh, you got this bass, man. So on your new record, you won't be using this choir. And I use this choir on about three or four tracks because it's a sound thing. On one of the tunes, I wanted this very p bass kind of sound. So that's the bass I would pick up if I want that sound. Not that <clears throat> I can't get it out of this, but it won't come close to that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I look at instruments and gear in general it's based on the actual necessity of that particular sound, you know, which is how, for instance, I ended up buying a hundred plugins <laughs> for mm-hmm. uh, mixing and mastering um, based on necessity. Cause I'm like, okay, I like this particular compressor, but I need that. Cause that gives me this for just yeah. one moment in a song. So I'm just like, okay, that's, that's a bit of a dangerous spot to be in when you're buying stuff like that. But um, yeah, with, but with the bass, yeah, that's what I, was looking for and then of course the maple neck so
0: is there, is there a switch on there? yeah
1: so this is this is basically just the pickups if i switch to the middle it engages the piezo as well blend with the pickups and then all the way to the right is just the piezo um okay do you ever use just piezo
0: on rare occasions i do
1: um
0: yeah. oh so you what is that mahogany on the back as well yes mahogany on the back as well Margari on the back and... Like a maple sandwich. Yeah, it's
1: exactly. It's like a maple sandwich. That's what I was going for. Um, mm-hmm. Maple sandwich and then the maple uh, fingerboard. So... Like
0: a seven-piece neck?
1: Yeah. So it's like... What I like about this in terms of sound is... It's got the sweet spot of the mids and the highs for me. And the lows are always going to be defined and well with passive instruments, not overbearing. So from a mixed standpoint to... Um, Mm. it's easy to handle this bass this sound because it's powerful but it's balanced from a frequency perspective so Mm -hmm. that's why I looked into it and looked into the wood and even when I told him yeah I want a maple sandwich he was just like oh and then even the string spacing like small things like that I really spend time because you know playing a jazz bass you get so used to the wide string spacing so when he was talking to me about string spacing he's like yeah you know someone like Hadrian goes for 16.5 and I'm like That's small for me, because I'm used to what, this is 19, 19 19.5. So we kind of went in the middle to 18, string spacing. So it's not the most narrow, neither is it the widest neck. So really fine-tuning these small details and understanding it by watching and possibly trying instruments as well. Um, Mm. I've tried some Sadowski's five strings, like the Metroline series. They're great, but the neck just was so wide, you know. So... Mm. Stuff like that, it um, really taught me to understand instruments, you know. Yeah.
0: And have you been as kind of um, methodical, shall we say, with your amp setup as well? I mean, okay. What's your, uh, what's your thought approach to that kind of thing?
1: My 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 philosophy with that is very simple. I cut before I boost, like I said earlier, with mids. And I use that same principle with everything else. So I start everything at 12 o'clock. And a lot of times I find myself cutting the low mids, high mids, and the lows a hair, you Mm -hmm. know, to kind of in between 11 and 12. If the amp allows you to actually hear a difference there. Highs, I keep it where it is. Um, That's what I've been leaning on. But as of the last two and a half years or so, I've stopped liking amps because I realized each amp, each cabinet, each amp head has a character, which is cool. Mm. Um,
0: but I love the sound of the bass going directly out. It Because I guess you spend a lot of time, you know, playing bass in the studio with headphones on or just yeah. coming back through the monitors. Yeah, I'm just so used to the cleanness of that.
1: And it's a more workable sound to in that sense because like when i did that um that show earlier this month with the orchestra and the arena just di literally no nothing else i mean i did use this guy as a preamp so i do have a little bit of an eq setting on this it's a it's just a zoom b 2.1u cheap thing but my friend modified it um modified the cool. processors, so i use this with my guitar as well um just went straight out of that into the house very clean clear crisp sound with a solid bottom end Um, of course I could use an amp but then it made me realize even if I had an 8-10 behind me on stage the way I'm feeling that is not how anyone in the audience is going to be feeling the bass they're still going to get a translation of the PA Mm -hmm. so I realized I'd rather focus on getting my sound more directed outward than inward for me and then as a way of compensating the low end on stage, I just request a sub, so I can feel the bass, in ears to hear myself, and outside it, I know it's going to sound clean and clear because okay, there's nothing. So yeah, I
0: favor in ears um, as of the last think, two and a half years. That, I think that you know that makes sense because you know bass through a foldback monitor, it's it's not even the nah. same as hearing it through a studio monitors, You know, it's a, yep, it's a yep. different thing. But if you're using in ears. Yeah, for
1: sure. So, yeah, the, yeah so the in ears enabled me to hear exactly what I'm doing, helped me dial in, let's say, if I feel like there's not enough lows, which I'll, which I'll dial in from here, dial it in a little bit, and then I have the sub behind me where I can feel everything I play. I hear yeah. what I play rather directly in my ears, I get a good mix of the band and everything, and I keep the volume rather low too, so it, it, it doesn't fatigue my ears. Mm. Um, and clarity, because sometimes I notice live when I play, I might be a half step off, but sometimes in the clutter of sounds, I won't be able to notice it. You know, it's happened to me on occasion a few times. And then I remember, I just had this face and then the guitar player had this face and looked at me. And then I was just like, did I just hit a B flat instead of a B? And he was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm just, just like, okay. move Go. your finger. Yeah. One fret. Like, you know, it was like that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's... that's um, kind of what my rig is evolving into um
0: have you, have you heard of the the backbeat no i mean not talking about the drum thing but there's this little um it's called a haptic pack okay and you basically you plug your bass into it and you clip it onto your strap and then the output of that goes to your di or your amp or whatever so and what it does is it it vibrates when you're playing mm. and it's, it's and it's it's very volume sensitive. So you feel, if you're playing very soft, it's just a subtle little vibration. And if you, it's good with transients and stuff as well. I know a lot of guys that are using in-ears use that because it's kind of, the, you still, sometimes it's nice to have that, you know, amp. Pushing right. you. Absolutely. And so this way it still gives you that um, organic dynamic feeling of going oh that that was a big note or that was that's the right kind of thing so yeah um lots of people are checking out this thing called the backbeat
1: mm, mm, mm. it's similar to the um drummer's user i
0: think it's called the thumper it's a similar yeah. yeah yeah similar thing but it's just it's you know it's kind of like the size of your phone right and, and, you, and just you just want mm. your trap yeah yeah this this yeah would be my general go-to on
1: a on a grander scale of things but From a club perspective, smaller venues, closed indoor venues, yeah, an amp would be the way I would go because it make, you have the acoustic environment for it, I feel. Um, Sure. It's it's not like, I remember, uh, I can't remember how many years ago I watched David Foster and Friends, they came down with Nathan East and all these guys, Mm. and um, he didn't have an amp on stage. He didn't, and I don't think it would make a difference too, because anyway, that amp is just there for him or anyone else on stage.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I mean, I guess it's, you know, it's, it's important to be comfortable with your sound when you're performing. So if you're more comfortable with hearing an amp behind you, then, you know, and if you want to spend a lot of money on that so that you can play better, then I think that's a completely justified thing as opposed to in-ears, you know, maybe the band you're playing in or the setup doesn't really. It's yeah. So yeah, in-ears is tricky.
1: And for me, it also becomes tricky when they give you an amp and then you've got in-ear monitoring and a lot of guys would pull out one ear and the minute you do that, game over, you know, because you lose balance. So, yeah. Um, yeah, one thing I had to really get used to was just using both the ears in, just stay there. Mm-hmm. And once I got comfortable, I realized, oh, it's nice. Like, I really like it. But even if I don't have in-ears, I'm still okay. It's not like I become handicapped by handicapped that. By that. <laughs> um but yeah, indoor situations, a simple amp, maybe a 112. I'm favoring a 112 more than a 210. I used to use 210 cabinets, um, the mark base Combo amp, but um, I stopped liking that sound now. Yeah, so I don't know. It's like, it's very hard for me to decide on one amp and stick to it because that keeps evolving, you know, the way my sound keeps changing over time to, in my head. So... That's why I'm like experimenting with new things. Like I have this guy here. This is the Trace Elliott Elf. Um, yeah. A tiny little there, thing, though. the size of my palm, you know. So it's great. 250 watts. So I'm just using that with my Mark Bass 110 cap there. And I've got another uh, 112. And very powerful. Simple and powerful. And usually that's what I go for. Because this just has a f- three-band EQ gain and volume. Mm-hmm. That's it. Simple. Um Yeah, so at the moment, yeah, it's a rather simple approach to it for me. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm always open to trying out something else. So who knows where I'll be in the next few years.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, If you could go back, you know, 10, 20 years and give yourself some advice, what would you say to a young Anthony Mutharaja? Uh... Well, I guess
1: if I'm being very real, you should have done aeronautical engineering. That's what I would tell my
0: old self. (laughs) Um, But- You would have the air conditioning cranked right now.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that is uh, one. But I think, I don't think I would want to say or change anything about the journey i did a lot of stupid stuff but that stupid stuff is what enabled me to become stronger and better because if everything is laid out ideally most of the time people don't take it it's like how kids go to music college and they still come out sounding the same because they walk into this environment where everything is there and they believe that's it i don't have to try to network i don't have to try to go to jam sessions or learn and build my repertoire i'm here man once i graduate i'm going to kill it and then upon graduation, it's just like, oh, okay, I was never ready, you know? So Mm -hmm. the path I've taken has had a lot of um, interesting moments overall, both life and music, uh, finances and whatnot, but um, now that I think about it from a very clear head, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, If anything, I, probably just wish I picked up the bass a little earlier. You know, Mm. I picked it up when I was 18, 19. Um, So, besides that? Yeah, everything remained, actually no, one thing. I wish I took up the piano. Oh, Oh, piano, okay. I wish I took up the piano early on. Mm. It's ironically the one instrument I've always wanted to play, but I never had the opportunity to study it, which is why once COVID hit, the first thing I did was buy a digital piano and I've just been sitting and practicing for the last year so that's one thing I would have told my old self yeah man you should have picked that up do you reckon doing doing all the piano practice has helped your bass? oh big time Um, it's you know what what I like about the piano is what you see is what you see Mm -hmm. if I hit this middle C it's middle C it's so direct so having sat with the piano a lot and then going back to the bass it's making me look at the bass a little differently too Um, You know, which is why I tell people sometimes you can't force yourself to sit and practice bass. That's the bass player problem. Yeah, man, I want bass lessons, and they come in there with the bass, bass. I'm like, hey, put that thing aside. Let's talk music. Mm -hmm. Let's think about music for a second, you know. That's just a mere tool to translate what music is to you. So, yeah, sitting on the piano has really enabled me to see things differently and with my students too because i can cover the bass and put the harmony so they can really hear things in context yeah you know it really is the the king of instruments (laughs) yeah it really is i mean it it's just laid out perfectly no fretboard fret markers or uh, diminishing fret sizes none of that it's just even all the way
0: nobody's going to send you a message going hey bro what keys did you use yeah
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) hey man that high e flat bro like
0: um Yeah, yeah Yeah, so exactly that. I like that. Yeah, you know, like it's it's funny when I see people commenting. Like, I think somebody commented, like, "What strings do you? What strings are on that bass?" You know, and I'm like, I could tell you what it really is, or I could tell you something completely different, and it would probably make absolutely no difference whatsoever because it's such a small part of the chain. Correct. Same way when people. If you, people watch, you know, demo videos of pickups, but they don't compare the pickup, the same base with different pickups. So unless you have context, it, it's kind of meaningless, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, mm-hmm. I use these strings in this base, but I was going through this preamp and, uh, and and this, you know, this converter, and then I had this compression going on. So all of these things, plus actually how I plucked the string, how old they are, how I've got the base set up, what pickups I'm using, how much tone control was on, you know, like, the yep. strings are what 10% of the overall sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um it's, it's that exactly that people tend
1: to fall prey to, the fixation on one tiny thing. Yeah. It's
0: like like if, if, I, if I get this or like bill go that that sounds great. Maybe if I get those strings, you know. And and you know, companies have been playing on that for years. Oh, yeah, yeah. I endorsements mean, endorsements and stuff like that. Why why wouldn't they?
1: exactly if if i was a string company owner i'd jump on this wagon already (laughs) (laughs) because it's that's just how gullible people are that you know people ask me what do you use and people it's funny when i tell them the gauge i use on my squire which is 40 to 95 immediately the perception changes It's like oh man but those are small strings but how's your sound big i'm like why because you think you need a 105 on the low e for a big sound that's how you're wired to think and i said you only can get a big sound if you're comfortable For me, because of my past injuries in sport, I've broken both my thumbs, my wrist and shit like that. I can't be using a 105 or 110. I could, sure, uh, but why? I use 95, which is rather thin, but I'm comfortable enough with it where I can get a big sound. But the minute I say the gauge size, their perception changes and they'll be like, oh yeah, no wonder you sound thin. And I'm just like, wow, that was
0: quick yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> if, if i'd said it was 100 would you have been would you been out and bought them you know like exactly yeah um i guess that kind of takes us to like the kind of youtube instagram world in which we're existing at the moment um how do you how can you be bothered with youtube <laughs> no no that's not enough it. but you know like it's i get i guess you like you were saying earlier on you do have a knack of Distilling complex information down to its kind of essence and making it relatable to other people, which I think is why um, your channel and your videos have garnered such um, great reputation. You know, you're kind of known in in the base circles as as a as a good educator for for kind of topics that are often um, difficult for people to to learn, especially in a one directional learning platform, which YouTube is, it's a one way thing. Yep. And, and also, um, and in, 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 in also people struggle with applying these kind of concepts as well. So I think you're really good at stating what something is in its essence and then showing people how to use it in a musical situation and how, to, uh, and how you use it and, you know, pitfalls to look out for and stuff like that. But I mean, Like the YouTube and Instagram world, it's like, it's, it's a lot of work and, and often it's not a lot of reward. Um, you know, how, how has it changed for you? You know, do you, do you play the algorithm game? What's your approach? You know, is it just like, I'm just going to put up whatever I want and hopefully that's enough for people to go cool. Or are you kind of thinking, okay, I need to kind of fill this niche hole and here mm. what's your plan man <laughs> with okay with the YouTube thing
1: I realized there was a big vacuum when it came to I don't want to use, use the mind. word advanced lessons but let's say advanced concepts for bass players to yeah, consider complex yeah you know like playing in keys that aren't E <laughs> <laughs> yeah or A <laughs> um, so <clears throat> trying to understand <throat> phrasing I mean I don't when I think when bass players think of phrasing, they don't really think of phrasing, you know? So these kind of little holes that I found, I realized there was not much of an avenue for people to go to to understand these things online. So I started talking about these things. Um, I really didn't have a plan, man. I just went at it. I just did what I wanted to, and secondary thing that probably helped me the most, I didn't give a shit about what anyone had to say. I just did what I wanted to. Because a lot of people opposed what I wanted to do for a long time. Really? Yeah, because it's just like, hey, look at you, man! You uh, Indian-looking guy trying to teach us jazz. I'm like, I'm not trying to teach you jazz, or I'm not coming here trying to preach a gospel. I'm just do sharing. You, do you react with that, or I mean, I, used, you, to. I oh, used to. I used to. Early it's on, it. it's hard not to. Early on, it triggered me so much, and I used to be such a. <clears throat> but now this, I. I he gave you this information for free and now you're through and, and you yeah. can't accept it. But that's the level of entitlement people have. Like some of the comments I get in uh, recent days, I just look at it. Now I laugh at it because it's ridiculous and it's so funny how I'm getting told you're teaching too fast. Uh, reinstruct slower. Thank you. And I'm like, yo, <laughs> are
0: you serious? No, you know? base bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like, you know, okay. and like you know, um, um, uh, someday, what was it somebody said on, on one of mine, um, and I was like, "Oh, I can." Kind of, I was like, you know, um, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't, t- you can't demonstrate this kind of music, blah, blah blah. And I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Do you want a refund?" Like, <laughs> 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 oh god, yeah. So, on, <laughs> it was
1: it was tricky to get started, you know, because whether people like to admit or not, there is always a visual stigma to looking a certain way and talking about certain things. So Mm -hmm. I've dealt with this. You know, anytime I would meet American musicians and I'd play and their immediate question is, man, like, where'd you learn all this stuff? You know, like, is there jazz in India? And I'm just like, well, first of all, I'm not Indian, thank you. And second of all, music is for everybody, whether it started somewhere and initiated from somewhere. That's the beauty of the internet is the fact that we have access to everything that we yeah. want to have access to. You know, growing up in the Middle East, we didn't have record stores and stuff like that. I was using a cassette player even in my teens, even though CDs were widely available, not here. So you know, the curve of learning was very different, so in the beginning, it was hard to compartmentalize um, these recurring issues with how people perceive you and just lifeless souls, that's what I call them. They have nothing better to do than to take a piss on you. Um, so, what one thing I really learned from social media is how not to take anything personally. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, no one knows you like you do. And...
0: Um, Both yeah. the good and the bad, I think, you know?
1: Yeah. So, it really, for, on a psychological level, I grew so much because of my YouTube channel. I was persevering, and I kept pushing persistently, just... I want to talk about this I want to talk about why this is why the way it is Like I even remember I put up a lesson 7 reasons why you possibly suck at the base and I know I offended a lot of people but then I said things that are true if you don't have a good foundation you're never going to get anywhere that's the reality
0: Yeah. if people you can't deal like with it by
1: if you can't deal with it I'm sorry but then if you wonder how I do what I do is because I value my foundation it's something I still do despite having reached a certain level of playing and um so so with youtube uh i mean lately as of the last year and a half ish i've been a little slow and i've been slacking with the way i'm posting because i'm also working on my albums and um you know producing music and stuff so it's hard to make the time but um, youtube is probably the only platform that i care about Mm -hmm. because it has had a lot of returns for me Mm -hmm. um it um First of all, because it serves as a portfolio of information, that is where 80% of my students have come from. Yeah. And also a lot of gigs have come from my YouTube channel. People find me somehow, because they are in the area and oh, I need a bass player, man, my guy's sick or something. Um, of course, having the YouTube channel helped grow a following, which then led to me having a website, yada, yada, yada. So all credit goes to starting the YouTube channel first. Mm. And then yeah. from there-
0: build an audience.
1: Yeah, I built an audience from there and built a reach. So from that point on, anywhere I traveled to, to play, people would come out to watch me. Like my first trip to Russia, for instance, there was a whole bunch of people who came to see me and I didn't even have a clue I had Russian followers. You know, they because you don't see these guys commenting and saying stuff. They're just very quiet, observant, do their thing and they do their stuff. Um, and they were respectful and polite and all of them would say the same thing, man, just keep doing you despite what anyone says because I've gotten all kinds of shit over the last, but close to five years of running the channel. You know, People from appropriating culture and this and that, I'm just like, I don't know where you're getting these thoughts from, but yeah. So more than anything, plan or whatever, I think anyone who's looking to venture into this needs to be ready psychologically because you essentially will have a target on your back. People just, that's just the way it is. You know, even on even on Instagram sometimes I get these extremely passive aggressive comments like a recent one, you know, I've I've just been mucking about um I can be quite an ass, but that's me as a person, you know. So I posted a guitar video saying, "Hey, I'm trying to be a relevant IG guitar player, you know, so this neo soul 251 licks and stuff like that." And the guy leaves a comment, Lots "Man, it's Yeah, it's like it sounds good, but your sound is a little harsh." It would be nicer if it's clean, but that's just for me. And I'm just like, I didn't ask you. <laughs> okay, cool. Like, okay, cool. So it's like I sound good, but here is what I think. It's just like, okay, but there's a lot of people like that. They might not be, they don't, they might not mean you harm, but they just think it's okay to be that way. Yeah, you know? yeah.
0: It's, uh, who's? I can remember who was listening to the other day, and was like, they um, don't realize that you're actually. A, a real person you know it's, it's like it's just a normal person that it's you're just another guy or another eight, girl eight, or whoever five seconds of your day to say something mean to like just a regular dude or dude yeah so
1: for me i just kept pushing because i knew at some point there would be a click of people <clears throat> who would see what i'm actually truly trying to do which is demystifying the complexities of music, you know? Yeah. And once they started to see it, like a lot of my students, they can reference what video, what I said. That's how far they've gone in with it. And then I have other guys who say I talk too slow or talk too fast or my English is not good or um, I look funny. Like I've gotten all kinds of comments. Now that I talk about it, I just laugh straight because I'm just like, okay, man, like cool. But um, in essence, you know, I would say... Again, I got into this with no thought or regard for financial returns, but it came looking for me. Mm. You know, it enabled me to um, have other sources of income outside of um, playing. Um, But I'll also say this, one thing about the social media platforms is that once you establish yourself one dimensionally, it's hard to create a secondary image to you, like for instance, you know, I built a following on YouTube and I thought, yeah, man, when I drop my record, it'll be, I'll have decent traffic on it. I did not, because I, as much as, yes, my devoted followers and students checked out the record, bought it and all that, but I'm looking, at that time, I probably had 20,000 something subscribers, I'm like, and I'm looking at the streams and I've just hit about 5,000, I'm just like, where are these guys? But then I realized no one's looking at me as a guy who's
0: writing music and putting out original music. Yeah, I'm no, the people, educator people guy. Didn't, people didn't come to use Anthony Matharaja the artist first. Exactly. He came to use it and so it was like, yeah.
1: So I'm an educator first. I was rather now. That's why I keep shoving this, the producing thing. The next lesson I want to record on my channel is mixing drums on a basic level, and stuff like that because I. Not that I'm tired of being looked at as an educator, but I have more to offer. But it's also partially my fault that I didn't consider these things when I started doing the social media game. So... Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to see. It's hard. Think, yeah, exactly. You know? When I started the channel, I didn't anticipate two years from there I'd have my first record out. I did not. And another two years mm-hmm. later, my second record. So I didn't plan those things, but it happened, it fell in place. But now the traction and traffic is getting stronger with my art form you know, and that further validates the education platform because I'm not just speaking empty words, you know. So um, yeah, it's tricky. But like I said, the, the one platform that I truly care about is uh, YouTube, Instagram. I use it just to tick people off or have a good
0: laugh. <laughs> and yeah, um,
1: yeah Facebook uh, is yeah, just yeah.
0: whatever, yeah. Um, I think one one of my favorite videos of yours was, um, I can't remember what it was called, but it's like, why why do base stores suck? Yeah. Um and there was so much uh, truth in that in that video. I was like this is great, you know, because um it, it reminded me a little bit of that the Victor Wooten thing of you know the 10 elements of music. Why do we spend 90% of our time talking about thinking about notes when we've got all these other elements, you know, phrasing, dynamics, tone, time, all that kind of stuff, you know, that is equally as important, but yet, you know, so many times the question I get is like, what scale can I use? Like, okay, what's the context? You know, (laughs) like how how can you play on all the notes of that scale in the two beats of that chord, you know? Anyway, I thought that your video um, was really good at, at looking at all these other elements that people often don't think are as important. Mm. Yeah, cuz that take a lot of people off. I mean, what was the, what was the feedback for that video in particular? Um,
1: it did it did tickle a few <clears throat> it did tickle a few, but also it's like it's you know that the problem with the truth is for most people it's hard not to take it personally. But yeah. The people I really respect are the ones who admit it hits them on a personal level in a bad way, but they are also willing to fix it or deal with it. So it's like, you know, sometimes if if anyone would watch me do my private lessons, I think people might think I'm cruel because sometimes I just look at my student and go, man, what are you doing? I would just ask it like that, but not mm-hmm. from a place of condescension, but I would hear them play and I'm just like, you know, you're better than that. You know, you can do certain things, but you didn't work on this one thing and it's very evident and I hear it. No matter what you do, you can't run away from that. So just be honest with me and say, yeah, man, I didn't shed. Let's reschedule the lesson because I'd rather do that instead of wasting both of our times and your money too as somebody who's paying to study with me. So the interesting thing with YouTube is that the way these people watch you and listen and criticize is as if they are paying you money. You know, It's like how you said, I'm sorry, do you want a refund? That's what I feel like saying a lot of times too. And recently there's been one guy in particular who's really taken the piss out of me when I talk about soloing and he keeps coming with the chord tone gospel. And I'm like, fair, but I'm talking about something else altogether. I'm not saying this is how you play like Charlie Parker, but apparently I'm wrong. And then Mm. for me, I'm like, okay, man, can I see and hear you play? You know, then I get the reply saying, I don't need to show my worth. Okay, cool. Then leave my challenge alone. But, (laughs) you know, if you go down this path, it's a rather strange one. So I just let it be and some of my followers go and take on this fight. I just sit here with my popcorn and my beer and I just enjoy the <laughs> the comments, you know. So it's... Man, at the end of the day, I think if I was to summarize it, um, it really needs a lot of mental fortitude to be able to be in this environment, especially today. Everything is so sensitive. The one thing I could say could take off people and I could get cancelled the next day. Like, it's just very strange times we live in as much as it's great because it's connecting like me and you we have connected through the internet and through the channel and stuff like that so it's like or even with mark and these other people i've had the pleasure of working with or talking to or hanging with but as much as that is there you have this completely ugly side Mm -hmm. to it too which one has to be ready to deal with you know i've i know a lot of great talented young kids who have quit music because they're unable to deal with psychological effects of people giving them a hard time online, you know? Right. So, yeah, one guy, he's he's now trading stocks for a living. While, I mean, he's a phenomenal guitar player, very talented kid, but there's
0: so many like this just because they can't put up that mental fight. And it's, and it, you know, it's, it's obviously speaks to how much value and importance we put on, on what we're consuming online as well, you know? people are really people really look to to youtube and stuff like that as as this the well of knowledge (laughs) yep you know um but i really think i had had a lesson uh yesterday with steve jenkins Mm. oh nice um yeah so i mean i've i've had him on the on the podcast as well but uh he, he just put a thing up on instagram saying he had a few lesson spots open and i was like do you know what i'm gonna take up that offer um and and it was good, you know. I think people forget that you can actually just reach out to your local guitar teacher, bass teacher, you know, your your buddy, your friend, you, you know, and 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 if you actually if you're actually really serious about it, you know, or or you're stuck, like you can just get a lesson, and you you'll be amazed at how much faster. And how much better the information can um, be absorbed when it's a two-way conversation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, I think. But um, you've spoken. You've mentioned your your album. Um, so let's talk about that before before we I'll let you go. Um, you've put out one solo album already. Two. Uh, two. Um, yeah. Just the the first one
1: was in twenty nineteen. And the one I just released was this year, in 2021. Uh, Yeah, Perennial is what I just put out. So to me, it's a rather special one because entirely done in this room. (laughs) Um, Everything was recorded, produced here, with the exception of certain guests, and um, mixed it here as well. Um, Wrote it through the course of the pandemic. And um, yeah, it's... um, it's something I'm really enjoying, doing it the way I'm doing it right now, but... Um, are you are you also playing most of
0: the instruments as well? Yeah,
1: or? so on both the albums, I played drums and guitar and bass and keys. Um, on the second one, I had a friend of mine playing bass, Rami. It's a great bass player, Rami Lakis, um, and a couple of singers on a few tracks. So mm-hmm. I'm starting to collaborate a little bit more because um while it's great to be sitting in my bedroom and doing everything by myself it's nice to have another face in the equation so yeah right now just trying to experiment with a different route because one thing i don't see often in i don't want to say jazz but the idiom of improvised music you know which covers jazz and fusion and stuff you don't see people putting out singles that often it's all records 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 which is great because a record tells a story but a record is also very hard to push in today's world you know Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to uh, put together different compositions that i haven't released them as singles and one i'll be releasing next month um or maybe later i'm not too sure but um is it finished yeah the song the song's finished it's done just um contemplating just trying to figure out a plan on how i want to release it because there's all these there's so much to it now, you know, all this Spotify playlist pushing and whatnot and this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, did a few things wrong with the second record in that sense. Mm-hmm. Spent stupid amount of money for almost no traffic. Oh. Um, so it's like, okay, I can't do that again. So, you know, it's like, it's a lot of trial and error basically, but, um, yeah, yeah, but I'm primarily putting out these records and music that I'm writing Are you you going to be doing some videos for the singles as well? Um, Probably. I'm actually even considering maybe doing a music video instead of just a video of me just playing and playing, which is fine. People know I can play. What's the point of showing it again and again? Like an animation video or something? Yeah, like an actual music video where I can say a story. um, Because that's the thing I like about instrumental music is that it can say a few stories. And Mm. here's what I think of it when I listen to it. Um, so on and so forth so I don't want to say commercializing the music that I do but trying to trying to think along those lines trying to see if there is I refuse yeah. to believe that music is dead or jazz is dead or this is dead you know I would say sure um, The there's no not much of a listening culture in today's world but I think people deserve to be given a chance to try because when I released my first record I did an album launch concert here in Dubai mm? Now, Dubai is not a place you think of when you think jazz or this kind of music. But when I launched the show, more than half the people who came were people I didn't know who have never been to a gig which involved improvising and interaction, reaction, and just burning and solos and stuff. And they all walked away and congratulated me and said one thing, you know, thank you for the experience. I don't know what I just felt. And I'm like, okay, you know what? There is hope for it. There's hope for all kinds of music, but I think it just needs a lot of work. And that's the hard part. know, I mean, it's time consuming, financially tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it's not like Spotify is gonna cover your rent at all, <laughs> you know? So it's, there's, there's many, the risk to reward ratio is rather strange, but yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing right now, you know, which is the teaching part, putting out original music, writing, um, trying to expand the writing palette as well beyond just rhythm section, get some string writing, horns, voice, mm. so on and so forth. Just trying to That's expand awesome. it. Um, so yeah, it's a never-ending journey.
0: Hopefully, I keep up with it. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think, I think there's definitely you know in the last, say for example, ten years, bands like Snarky Puppy and Volf Peck and stuff like that. Like they've definitely reawakened or, or maybe kind of made cool again in inverted commas, you know, instrumental, improvised, jam, jazz, funk music right? popular again, yeah. you know? Like, you know, now now we've got college bands playing snarky puppy tunes instead of Weather Report mm. or as well as Weather Report tunes, I guess. Like, so I think, I think there is, um, a market for it. Yep. I think they're just used yep. to accessing it in a different way from the traditional um, jazz fusion improvised music yep. way that they would deliver yep. it. If you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah like like what you're saying. Like it's not, you're not making it commercial, but you're what you want to do is use those techniques that the that those other people use in terms of releasing music. Yep. So that people feel like it's a normal thing. You know yeah it's yeah, yeah exactly to yeah, to some yeah. instrumental jazz music it's just like oh there's a cool video and, and it's on spotify and it's on whatever you know it's just like it's yep. a normal thing
1: yep That's um, good. That's I, good.
0: I released it, i released a couple of singles uh, last year as well with, with my band and uh, which is kind of like an eight piece instrumental funk fusion thing as well right and so right. um there was a really good. There's a good YouTube channel by a guy called Damian Keys. I don't know if you've come across him. No, I maybe I have. Not too sure. Uh, he he's an English guy. Um, but one of his videos was like, um, it was a 20 day plan for releasing a single. No. And I was like, do you know what, I'm gonna try it, and and it it worked. Like I didn't I didn't do everything. Essentially, you have got a 10 day lead up to the release, and then like a 10 days afterwards which i never really thought about you you always you always think about the lead up and then you do it and then you're done but he was like no the most important thing is like those three four days afterwards to capitalize on that thing and i was like of course this is why i'm not in music marketing but thank you for (laughs) the the amazing advice so um i've actually he's got like a free pdf that that I've got, which I'll, I'll I'll send to you in an email as well. Oh, yeah, There's probably definitely some, there. some good little tips and stuff in there. But um, uh, I'm going to let you get on with the, the rest of your day. I'm sure maybe you want to head somewhere nice and cool to relax. <laughs> well, probably just my fridge and grab a beer. That's about it. <laughs> nice. Um, if people want to connect with you, um, follow what you're doing, where can they check you out? Um, you can check out my website, AnthonyMuthuraja.com, or you can
1: find me on Instagram and YouTube, Anthony Um I am barely around on Facebook, so I would say, yeah, Instagram, YouTube,
0: AnthonyMuthuraja sure. on my website, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, really big thanks for taking the time of your day to... Yeah. My pleasure. Thank my you for having me. me. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was super enjoyable. Um, I hope everybody else has, has enjoyed... Your conversation and get something from it. Um, so yeah, thanks, man. My pleasure.